0: liver mortis liver mortis liver mortis
1: the joy i feel is a new joy unknowable to anyone who does not know for certain when the moment of their salvation will come for the visitor has made it known that he will manifest in physical form tonight as the moon rises. I know he will be proud. He must be proud. The machine and I are symbiosis. It made it possible for him to find this realm. Our work was a beacon hidden from mortal eyes, but bright as one hundred thousand candles to one such as him. I must be careful not to let my hand gain speed as I turn. Enjoy tonight's song and story.
2: Hey, how the hell are you listeners, Westerners, Easterners, everybody in between? Yeah, this is Cherry Shireen again. Look, this show isn't always a party. Sometimes I'll bitch about my mother-in-law for an hour straight before I get to anything good, and that kind of sucks. But the thing is, I know that that sucks. I know, okay, I get it. But that's the kind of thing that actual flesh and blood people do. I just do it with a platform to a listenership. And motherfucker, I have a listenership now. Yeah, you beautiful, wonderful, intelligent heart stoppers have streamed and downloaded this little show all the way up to number six in the nation. As of last Friday, I'm stunned and I am humbled because some of you have been with me since I was doing this from my bedroom. It'd be a Wednesday night at 1 a.m., and I'd be in front of my computer with a mic stuck in the closet, praying my roommates would shut the fuck up for long enough for me to get a sentence down. And I didn't know if I had anything to say. Because you never really know, right? When you're trying to get something off the ground, the heavy, crushing, absolute doubt that sits on your shoulders is like... unknowable to anyone who hasn't been there. Look, I used to be so broke that for like three months straight... I'd go to the neighborhood supermarket and buy these off-brand leggings and a plain white t-shirt, and I'd wear that shit for a week and a half. And yes, maybe that has something to do with the fact that I was banned from the laundromat for stealing detergent, but you're missing the point. Yesterday, I paid off my car. That's not bragging. That's just something I never planned on doing. I texted whatever the number was to donate to that foundation uh, that fixes cleft palates in poor countries. And I'm not a saint. I suck. The point is, I've taken this thing and made it a viable occupation somehow. I'm financially comfortable for the first time ever. You guys have done that. I don't know if I'll ever be crazy rich, but I don't care. You guys have shown so much support for the show that I can say with, like, 99% certainty that I'll never have to clean behind another steam table again in my life. And goddamn, that feels really good. So anyway... I was feeling this wave of confidence after last weekend, so I called my agent up. And I said to him, I says, let's aim high for the next guest. We've had mid-level comedians, plenty of local entrepreneurs, no real A-listers yet. No disrespect to any of my guests. Seriously, you guys are all awesome and thank you for coming on. As the show continues to grow, I try to aim higher and higher. Content, excitement, guests with higher and higher net worth, whatever. I don't want to get complacent ever. So I throw these names out to my agent. And he laughs at me. "Uh, Jerry, these people would rather be photographed with a dead, endangered, underaged animal than do your show. I should remind you that I hate my agent. He's an idiot. And he's bald. And he's bad at Scrabble. If there were any real justice in the world, he'd be hit by a fucking greyhound tomorrow. Relax, he takes 10% of what's mine so I can say these things. Oh, they won't do the show, Ken, I say. And he's looking satisfied, like I've seen the light. But all I see is that big, fat number six on the charts. So I throw out another name. Ken looks at me like he's going to say no, but I give him that look. The one that says, look, motherfucker, I'm going to be too famous for you in a year and a half. So if you want to ride these sweet coattails to a new house and an electric vehicle one day, you'll do as I say. And he nods and he walks out of the room. Anyway, two days later, I get a call from Ken. He gave me the news. I asked him why he sounded so calm, given the circumstances. And he said he's been on a strict diet of Kahlua and Xanax for the last two days to keep his mood right to take the calls from our guest's agent and publicist. He also says, I've got to use this chance. Make an impact. Blah, blah. Anyway, anyway, here across from me, listening to this whole rambling block of introduction, sitting with his hands folded, about 30 tattoos on each one, wearing a long black coat, just like you want him to be, all six foot four of him, Paul Darkin. Welcome, Paul.
3: Hi, it's great to meet you, Cherry.
2: It is an unexpected pleasure to meet you, Paul. Let's address the elephant first. You are far too famous to be here.
3: Oh, come on.
2: You had a number one album last year with your band, Sour Curse. You've been in a David Lynch movie. You were dropped off here in a limo, and I know because I was watching the driveway through the blinds for like half an hour before you got here.
3: Okay, well, the elephant is out of the bag then. I guess lots of people know who I am. I'm happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. You're not exactly an unknown. I'm working on it.
2: So as I tell all my guests right up front, here's the deal here. There is no editing. This is all streaming live. So if you fart or you say something shitty, it's all out there, man.
3: Luckily, I've learned to think before I speak over the years and before I fart.
2: (laughs) Right on. Okay, I have to tell the listeners, you look cool as fuck in person, like a modern update of an 80s rock star, but also not like an asshole somehow. How much does it cost to dress like that? Oh, wait, that was actually on the list of forbidden questions. No money talk.
3: Actually, forget that list. Feed your paper shredder with it. You serious?
2: Ken told me your guy spent an hour going over the do's and don'ts with him for this thing. Especially because...
3: Now, I know they did, but don't worry about it. I had to let him think those restrictions were going to be in place or they'd have never booked this interview. The live nature of it freaked them out. So you pulled some shit on your own people? I told you I wanted to be here. I like your show. That is
2: very kind of you to say. And, dare I say, probably bullshit, but great. Still a nice thing to say. We are here in a beautiful, woody-smelling chateau in a location I've agreed not to disclose. What do you call this room? Is this a smoking room? You smoke? Shit, I wouldn't hear. People, there's a huge fireplace with some wood that smells like... Expensive cologne burning in it right now. Except for my laptop, all the light in here is from a massive chandelier, and it's not like poorly lit or anything. We're sitting in these straight backed chairs that look like they'd put you in a stress position, but they're comfortable as fuck, and because my spine is all straight, I'm finding myself more focused and thinking more clearly than I do when I'm plopped into a lazy boy.
3: So you approve?
2: Yeah, man, I do. This is like a room where Lestat would spend all day thinking about what he's going to not fuck next. So, okay, no restrictions. Then how much did that coat cost?
3: Okay, the answer is, I don't know. And the reason why is it's going to make people think I'm a dick if they don't already. So I usually walk through a store when it's closed and pick the things I like, and then my assistant will do the actual buying. It sucks, I know. No, no, that's totally normal, but just let me check that tag. You really want to see it? I'll show you here.
2: Okay, so that is a brand of clothing that I've never even heard of. That's how expensive we're talking here, guys. I'd look it up online, but I was asked to leave my phone outside
3: the door when I got here. That one actually is my requirement. I think it's easier to have a conversation when the conversation is limited to what the people having it actually know. No looking things up that neither one is sure of. That makes every topic infinitely complex in a way, you know what I mean? I know how attached people are to those things, so I apologize for asking you to get rid of yours for a little while.
2: Well, it did make me say, huh? At first, but I see your point. I have that shit in front of my face at least five hours a day. On the positive side, I'm noticing all these tiny details about the room. There are little carved claws in the armrests of these chairs. Not like thrift store approximations. These things look like lion paws, straight up. Also, sorry, and I want to say first that it looks awesome, very rough and tough, etc. But I noticed there's a scar on your cheek that's not in any photos that I've seen.
3: Oh yeah, that. That's just a little one, um... We've covered it with makeup for the last few promo shoots. I thought I had it covered with my hair. I don't really want to talk about that this second. Anything else you want to talk about?
2: Gotcha. Sure.
3: You can ask me anything else, really.
2: Okay. Are you working on any new material? The last album was great. I definitely heard a lot more jazz influence, and I'm wondering if you're planning to continue in that direction, or... If that was a one-off kind of thing?
3: Okay, I want to say it again. I'm here to talk. I chose to do your show because you're fresh, and I don't think you're going to try to skew a a narrative or push an agenda. The way you have the show set up makes that hard to do. It's all streaming live, no cuts. That's what I want. So you can ask anything you want. This interview is exclusive, and it's an opportunity. What do you want to ask me, Cherry?
2: All right, Paul. Did you do it? There we go. Are we doing this? That's the question we're all wondering, isn't it? Did you kill her? Lydia Mason, the famous painter, your wife. Is this what you want to talk about?
3: A court of law ruled that I did not.
2: But then you disappeared for a year.
3: I went away to process things and to heal from the loss. I didn't kill her. I want to say that for everyone to hear. Her death hollowed me out. I didn't kill her. Then my next question is, if you didn't do it, and
2: I think I believe that you didn't, do you think it was him?
3: You say that like he's real. Like he's flesh and blood.
2: Well, your fans believe he is, don't they? Hell Sam, the figure who appears pretty much as he pleases, or in accordance with a formula cobbled together from your lyrics, depending on which message boards you're reading. And then he kills people with a knife.
3: Yeah, that's about how I
2: understand it. Wait a minute, man. You pretty much created this guy. Is that right or not?
3: No, I didn't create him. I didn't name him Hell Sam. I just see the things I see in the world. I write what I write. And I don't control what happens after that.
2: Not only does a large chunk of the internet believe that he exists... They think he's a kind of folk hero coming at the right time to kill those who need to go for the greater good. Some butterfly flapping its wings bullshit. But it's hard for a sane person to see him in a positive light after hearing some of your lyrics. There's this one from a song called Sam. There was calamity, a sea of blood, won't be stitches when the veins are dug. Or this one from uh, Cue the Revelation. I destroy, I seduce. I am sanctity refused for the chance at something better, slice away. Pretty dark stuff there, Paul.
3: It's metal. Those are the kind of lyrics that we use. The prosecution brought up a lot of my music to try to build a case. But lyrics don't kill, and I didn't kill Lydia. But she was killed
2: with a knife. I'm guessing you've heard the theory about 500 times that you're Hell Sam, that you're a serial killer with Fifty-eight bodies to your name. Now, I'm not accusing you, but what do you think about that one?
3: Hmm, I would have laughed and played it up a few years ago, but now I'll just say that it's bullshit. If they'd do five minutes of research, they'd find that a lot of those unsolved murders, those victims of Sam, happened years before I was born. And Sam would have to be over a hundred years old and like 89 when he did the last one.
2: Well, I think people like to take a good story and stretch the truth. So maybe he only did some of the 58. But Sam isn't real, though, right?
3: No, Cherry. Sam isn't real.
2: Okay, that's a good, firm position. So, who messaged me? What? Less than an hour after this interview was confirmed, I was planning the thing out what questions I was going to ask, if I was going with a friendly or a hard-nosed type of thing, and I got a message to my personal email address. It was from someone claiming to be Sam.
3: Sounds like one of your friends is playing a trick.
2: Well, the thing is, I hadn't even told my husband yet. No one knew but your people and my agent.
3: And what did this person say?
2: My question is, was it you who wrote me that email, Paul?
3: It wasn't me. What did it say?
2: He was asking me if I was excited for the interview, how I planned to parlay this opportunity into something more. He had this dated way of writing, very Old Testament-y.
3: I need to see that email. Hey,
2: if he's not real, what's going on? Show me. Why are you gripping the chair so hard?
3: Cherry, please, show me.
2: My phone is in the safe with yours, and your assistant won't be back for another hour to open it. I remember the email had a weird sign off uh yours
3: in aspiration how did you
2: so it was you it wasn't me what's the problem even if it was sam i didn't tell him where we were going to be doing this interview you didn't have to i didn't have to yeah i think the boogeyman needs to know where you are to come boogie you it's not your fault or maybe it is i don't know it doesn't matter okay paul now is a good time to start talking, because I'm not feeling very comfortable at
3: all. You didn't have to tell him anything. Uh, Cherry. This is how it all goes bad. Paul, what the fuck? I may not
2: have a phone, but I have my hand on a big can of fucking mace in my purse right now. I'm hoping it'll stay there, but I need you to say something sane real soon. He can be wherever you are now. Okay. I'm leaving, thank you for the interview, you seem like a decent guy, but you're strange and you're off-putting. I'm gone.
3: I'm gonna show you something. I'm going to walk back a few steps and take off my shirt. I promise I won't hurt you. I'll be on the other side of the room, okay? Just look. Look.
2: Jesus Christ, who did that to you? Paul, did you do that to yourself?
3: This is what he does when I work. Whenever I create anything, he comes around. I've woken up in the middle of the night to him lying next to me, dragging his knife back and forth across my chest. And I can't scream, I can't move. Sometimes he'll say a few words in that inhuman voice and I just have to wait until I fall back to sleep. And when I wake up the next day, I ignore the pain and I write, and I play the idea that was trying to get out. Don't come any closer, Paul. I swear to God. I've lost track of how many times he's cut me. I'd hire security for every door, but he'd get in. But it didn't matter. It became a part of the process. I'd make the music I actually wanted to make and it would sell. But then Lydia, I found her, you know. They didn't say that in the papers. She still had her brush in her hand. I couldn't tell what was paint and what was blood. I believe you.
2: I believe you, okay? I, I just want to go. I'm going to go, okay? I'm sorry about what happened to her. I- I really am.
3: That same night I found her. I saw the black shape in my bathroom mirror. Those yellow eyes bloomed into focus behind me. And I told him I didn't need him. I was done with the fucking band music, the whole thing. I was going away. I'd never seen emotion on his face before, but there was so much hate on it then. And I knew that if he ever saw me again, he'd put that knife into my heart. He faded away, and that feeling of hate hung in the air after he'd gone. I left that night. I got on a plane and disappeared.
2: But then you came back.
3: Because everyone was saying that I killed her. Do you know what it feels like to lose the person you love and then have her friends, her family, everyone wonder if you had something to do with her death? I would have stayed gone forever.
2: Okay. You've cleared it up. I think that anyone who hears this will know that you didn't murder her. You can go back to wherever you were, and no one will bother you anymore, Paul.
0: No, I can't. Why not? You've got all the money in the world.
2: Why can't you just go somewhere beautiful and quiet and just live? Paul? Hey, are you listening to me, Paul? Paul?
3: Because he's been behind you for the last two minutes.
2: What the fuck? What the fuck? There's no one behind me. It's just you and me in here. It's just us, okay?
3: I knew you'd find me. No, I don't regret anything. I want to know. Was it you? Why'd you kill her? Did you kill her? Paul,
2: who are you talking to? Jesus Christ! Hey! Hey!
0: Oh my God! Oh my God! Fuck! What's happening? Jesus Christ! What is going on? Fuck this! i the fuck out of here! What the fuck? This is Cherry Shireen.
2: After last week's interview, I was questioned by a thousand law enforcement people. I told them the truth and they didn't believe any of it. Some of them wanted to arrest me. One detective thought I'd witnessed the murder and was in some kind of extreme shock. Like the key to the whole thing was in my head somewhere. That's bullshit. I know what I saw. This is some Billy Corgan lizard people shit, but... I can't say anything other than what happened my lawyer told me not to do this episode but bullshit is not my thing I always want to be honest with you guys Paul Darkin is dead that's how it ends but I want to tell you what I saw in the room when he took his shirt off his whole torso was scar tissue he'd been cut hundreds of times I thought for sure he'd done it himself. I thought he was crazy. He didn't strike me as a liar in the interview, so I was convinced he'd done it himself, but really believed that this fictional being called Hell Sam had done it. Then he said Sam was behind me, and I swear to God I turned around and there was no one there. I waved my arms through the space all around me. Paul started talking, but not to me anymore. He was just talking to the air. And it was impossible, but then his stomach started bleeding. There was no one within 10 feet of him, but a gash appeared in him. I apologized to his family for giving these details, but that's what happened. Another cut opened up in his chest. He dropped to the ground and raised his hands up, but they turned red too. He was being stabbed to death right in front of me, but I couldn't see anyone there doing it. I could hear the impact of something hitting his body, his hands, over and over, but I knew I couldn't save him, so I ran out of the room and to the front door where there was a camera. I wanted to be seen in my clothes, not covered in blood at the time of his death. I think that was the thought process, but who knows. The video of me at the door with that timestamp is probably the only reason I'm not in jail awaiting trial right now. God knows a lot of people think I straight up murdered a rock star. I've been offered dozens of interviews, all the networks, every podcast. I don't want to use a tragedy to catapult myself to fame, but at the same time, I was there. I have this story to tell. I think Paul Darkin was a good man who 100% did not murder his wife. I'll of course keep doing this show because I love it and I love you guys. Paul may come up once in a while, but I really don't want this thing to become the focus of this show. To that end, I'm going to be collecting my thoughts and organizing all the details in my memory about exactly what happened and writing a book about it. That'll be something totally separate from this show. Okay, so that's all I'm going to do this week. I'm sorry, guys. I'll be back next week with a regular-length episode. I just need some time to digest this all. I know you guys understand. Thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. Until then, listeners, bye-bye. What do you think, Ken? I think it was brave to tell people if that's what you really saw. Yeah, well, I'm sure it sounded like I'm fucking insane. Maybe. But even if it did, it's on brand at least. That same raw, unfiltered style. So which of these offers did you want me to set up? I say do two of them now, and then wait a month. If you start with... Jerry? Jerry? Are you Jerry. listening to me? I... Do what's dust thou? was arrested when I was 17. I made the most of it, if you know what I mean. Learned a lot of new things in jail. long run it didn't work out so well
0: cause that cop's dead now
2: we're halfway and I listened to the voodoo man halfway said he was in for cutting a chick in his throat there was blood on his hands but it was a man's for sure into the cell somehow he'd snuck his bag and he showed me with a doll how to make an eyelash of dagger
0: So I stepped back blue back doll between the eyes Took out all the brain I could that night But he said hey man you quit kid it's all wrong Yeah sure he'll die but he'll soon some...